This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury and welcome to Cruise Control this week. As usual, I'm joined by my two friends, Ali Johan and Daniel Fernandez from dsf.my. Hi, Ali. Hello, good evening. And hi, Daniel. Hello, Richard. Hello, Ali. And thank you for still being my friends. You are lucky. Believe me, you're lucky. Yeah. Uh, as usual, a show in three parts. We've got some local launches. Uh, we've got pothole accident story. It's a good story. And then we've got a car review at the end. It's the Audi Q5 S-Line 2-liter 2FSI Quattro. Um, yeah, all that stuff, all coming up first. But let's get on to some news. Ali, what have you got for us in terms of launches? Right, after weeks of no action, this week we see two car launches locally. Ooh. First is the Audi RS5 Sportback, which is uh, the first on Audi's RS line to make an entry to Malaysia. And guys, I saw this in person at the concourse of Wanutama's new wing. It's a sedan with a coupe-type roof with a nice grey colour on it. But I was wondering about the RS line and what it meant, Daniel. Okay, the RS line is basically, um, you know, BMW has M performance cars. Yeah, yeah. So, and then you got Mercedes with the AMG cars. So Audi has RS. I see where it's going with this. I thought it just meant really expensive. <laughs> RS, really expensive. That's a good one, Richard. But it's also their performance division and... RS cars are actually very, very entertaining. I can say that because 12 years ago, I had a personal experience in Italy with a whole range of RS cars, and it was a very, very memorable experience with the whole RS range at that time. And, you know, when you come back from a trip like that, you just think to yourself, why am I not working harder? Why didn't I go and become a politician? <laughs> hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Are you listening to this, Ellie? I had a really nice time in Italy driving my RS. What's going on? Not my RS. I was invited to test drive it. <laughs> and he teases me. Come on. <laughs> I didn't have to pay anything. It was, a, it was a media junket. So anyway, I had a great time. And this is what RS cars are all about. And we have to say this. Audi RS cars are not appreciated enough in Malaysia. Last time they all came in through grey importers, the, the official Audi office here were very sceptical about bringing in a lot of RS models. Now they have decided that, hey, I think you know we should showcase our performance models. So they've brought in a couple of RS models. And mm -hmm. I think um, there are enough uh, well-to-do Malaysians who will take them home. And so being the RS line, um, it comes with some sporty interiors. There are red trims around the cabin and on their seat as well as the door panels. Fitted with a 2.9-liter V6 TFSI bi-turbo engine as well. Price though, Daniel? Uh-oh. Okay, don't, don't expect RS vehicles to be cheap because why? AMG vehicles are not cheap. BMW M vehicles are not cheap. So mm. this comes in. This RS5 Sportback comes in at 809,000 ringgit. So uh -oh. now here's the tricky part. Now the equivalent BMW M3 and also AMG vehicles are slightly cheaper. Not much cheaper, slightly cheaper. But the closest rival to this RS5 Sportback is the BMW M3 competition. And that retails for 664000 So that's a good 150, 140000 
ringgit difference. But I tell you this, you drive an RS, you are noticed. You drive an RS, you will love it. Can I ask a very basic question? Yes, sir. And I'm sure Ali's probably thinking about this well. 200,000 ringgit difference, right? 140,000. Sorry, 140,000 difference between an M3 and an RS. What really is the difference? What's justifying that difference, Daniel? Okay, what's justifying the difference is volume. You see, when you sell more of a certain vehicle, you can bring down your profit margin, you can bring down your cost of production and all that. Audi does not make as many RS vehicles globally, BMW does. So it's, it's just a production costing. Also, Audi, they tend to say, hey, we are a little bit more special. So you pay a little bit more, lah, you know? <laughs> Got it. Okay, thank you. So it seems like they're made-to-order kind of cars, but it's a powerful car, uh, a sedan that goes from 0 to 100 in only 3.9 seconds. Mm. Also, with the launch of the RS5 Sportback, we can expect other models on the Audi RS line as well to join in the market, maybe yes. in the coming years. Uh, so we can watch out for the wagon-shaped RS4 and the RS6 coming to Malaysia. But don't hold your breath on the price though, right, Daniel? Well, this is probably the lowest price RS you'll get, brand mm. new. I think the rest are all going to inch past a million ringgit. But let me tell you something, guys. You know, when Malaysians have money, this is nothing. So add it to your uh, shopping list then, Ali? Yes, sure. I love the colour. you got to go to Wanutama and see it, Rich. This is the one that's in like the dull grey colour, is it? Yes. I've seen quite a few different vehicles in this. BMW I've seen, I've seen some other stuff. It almost feels like during a pandemic, all these companies ran out of paint. You know, Richard, you're almost right about this because I think they did run out of paint <laughs> because even the basic cars have started going to this color range. This sort of, you know, pale gray. Yeah, it's almost like a, a militaristic kind of look. I kind yes, of like it. Yes, I, yes, I, yes. Yeah, I don't mind it at all. Or maybe they had okay. a lot of black and white and they just mixed it together. There you go. Yep. It's, it's, isn't that a Michael Jackson song? Moving on. Uh, right. <laughs> What else have we got, Ali? Yes. This week, Sam Dhabi Auto Connection, which is the sole distributor of Ford in Malaysia, have just unveiled the all-new next-gen Ford Everest SUV. And uh, this is a luxury seven-seater SUV that will come in three different trim levels with prices ranging from 263000 to the premium spec that is uh, going to be priced at 308000 ringgit. And all the prices are on-the-road prices without insurance in Peninsular Malaysia only. We're expecting a little bit of a bump if you are going to buy this in East Malaysia. You know, a lot of people are going to say, so much for a Ford. Well, <laughs> that's the thing. The Ford Ranger, when it first came out, it was, you know, below 100,000. Then it slowly went up to 140, 150,000. Then you had the Raptor at, at 199,000. Now, the Ford Everest is basically a Ranger with a cabin at the back and a third row seat. That's li- literally it, right? Mm-hmm. So the first Ford Everest, which was many years ago, when it came out, it was just above 100,000 ringgit. And then the second generation, when it came out, it was more refined. It had better dynamics. It had, you know, underneath is everything that you have in the Ranger. But on the exterior, it was uh, a, bit, a bit more upmarket. Also, mm-hmm. a little bit more upmarket on the interior. But it was 220,000 ringgit. I remember going to, not Italy, but going to Thailand going off-road with the Everest and thinking, very accomplished vehicle, very well built, very nicely put together. But can Malaysians pay 220000 for this vehicle when the European SUVs are just a little bit more? You get what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, sadly, the previous Everest did not sell very well. And it did not sell very well, even though they, you know, they have special offers, 
special financing packages and all that, simply because Malaysians at that point will either go to a lower price vehicle like a, like a Toyota Fortuna at 170000 or you know even if you look at the Isuzu MUX, which is a bit more utilitarian, but it was 160 plus thousand. But at 220000 you might just pay a little bit more and get something European. So now comes this new Everest, which starts, like Ali said, at 260000 and works its way up to 308000 now, wow. 263 is already, ooh, a little bit expensive. Yeah. And 300,000 is, oh, I think they're stretching it. Now, I got into this Ford Everest. I've not driven it yet. I'm going to drive it in two weeks' time. And I looked at the features. I looked at the, the, the infotainment system, the center console, the touchscreen, the build quality. It is premium. It's a good quality vehicle. The touch and feel points all feel premium. But there is just something about Malaysians paying that amount of money for a Ford badge. You get what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think this is going to be a problem for them to reach volume sales. I mean, they'll sell. They'll sell. There will be people who will appreciate it because it's a proper off-roader. Underneath is everything that you get in the proper Ford Ranger pickup truck, which means you can take it to the roughest terrain. But do I want to pay up to $300,000 for this? Maybe not. But I think Ford is banking on the fact that the Raptor, the previous Raptor, managed to get sold-out sales with the $200,000 price tag. So why won't people pay a little bit more for this new Everest? Mm. Even a lot of the press photos have got like family pictures in it as well, so it's clear how they're trying to market it, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. Mm. Well, things could change because why? The new design also is quite handsome. Think about it. If you take away that Ford badge, I'm just saying this, if you take away the Ford badge and you drove it around, some people might say, hey, this is European. They might. All right. We've got um, some EV news. EV time. We always have EV news on the yeah. show. And this week, we found out that Prodoa just gave out 300 units of this semi-secret Ativa hybrid. And they've done this to run a market study on the viability of that model in Malaysia. The Ativa Hybrid is Perodua's first electrified model. You know, word got out about its construction last month. They were trying to keep it under wraps uh, because they're now selling the petrol version of this car. So Daniel, do you think a hybrid version of the Ativa will pop? I think if they actually launch this vehicle, it will be a sellout. First of all, it's Perdua. You cannot move away from the fact that anything with the Perdua badge on it sells really well. Now, mm. they've always had a price advantage. You know, I mean, it's not expensive, you know. So that could be one of the reasons. But if you think about it, the brand has become so um, ingrained in Malaysian middle class and lower middle class as a vehicle that will never break down, super reliability, good resale value. They got all the features. They've got the safety sorted out. Uh, so I think with a hybrid, of course, you know, there's a battery inside and all this uh, raises the price. Something like this will cost easily 100,000 ringgit, maybe 90,000 ringgit. But there will be enough Malaysians, I think, who will say, I've been driving a Perdua, say a Myvi or even Ativa and say, hey, I want to upgrade to the Ativa hybrid because I want to save fuel. I want to get that mm. added power. And also, I want to be something different. Because why? I can't really afford an electric car because an electric car almost is double the cost. But I can afford this. And I'm saving fuel. Of course, it's not a full electric, but I'm on my way there, you know? Yeah, this is a good first step, it seems. You yes, took the words right out of my mouth, yeah. Yes, and you see the Ativa Hybrid has actually been in Malaysia for the past one year on test. 
They had a few units running around. We actually caught it. We got a picture of it when he was uh, driving around Pitaling Jaya. This is coming straight from Japan, so I think there's no issue. But the first 300 units that they've released right now is for EV study. So they're going to do a lot of testing. I think there's a lot of sensors on the car. There's, mm-hmm. there's some data that they'll be giving back to the engineering department. I think if they launch this, it's going to sell out. It's going to be a hot selling vehicle. Yeah. So the 300 units on test mode right now are are in and around um, Johor, Penang, and Klang Valley. It'll be interesting to see how they price this because for a one liter car that has a competitive price, we'll see how much an, a, a hybrid version will cost. Right. And on to uh, another EV news. Now, it's been recently reported that an international player in the EV charging industry is set to enter Malaysia and they're going to provide more EV charging ports. The company is called Cornerstone Technologies and they've been a major provider for EV chargers in Hong Kong, actually. Now, mm-hmm. they're expanding around the Southeast Asian region with venturing into Singapore and Indonesia and most recently, now Malaysia and Cambodia. They've been deploying EV chargers at many residential parking spaces in Hong Kong with ultra-fast DC chargers, as well as working with Asia's biggest public bus operators, which is Kowloon Motobus in Hong Kong. I'm a bit surprised. When I saw this news, I was a bit surprised. It was sent to me and I, and I read through the news and I thought to myself, okay, let me go and Google this company. Great company. They've been around for a long time because Hong Kong has been having EVs for a long time. They've had Teslas there for many years because they had a tax-free incentive. But the thing is, in Malaysia, we have enough people already selling EV chargers. We have local companies doing it. We have foreign companies doing it. We have big conglomerates like Airbnb and Bosch already doing this. Why do we need this player? I look at it, if they're coming in with a much lower price, then it makes sense. But if you already got these other players in here, it's a cost factor, you know? Who's going to pay for all this? If Cornerstone is saying, okay, I'm going to put up all these charges for free and I'm going to charge you to use it. Okay, cool. Then you have your own uh, financial uh, wizardry to, to, to get back the money because I don't see how EV charges will make money in at least four to five years, you know? Mm-hmm. Let's see what happens. More news on the EV front. Looking at uh, the region now, this week, Porsche Asia-Pacific announced their plans to install fast charging ports in Shell gas stations in Thailand. Mm. And this aligns neatly with the company's major plans for EV infrastructure in Malaysia. Porsche and Shell are working together. They're set to open six charging sites at selected Shell stations in our country as well. And so with this 11 charging ports in Thailand by the end of next year, we will be able to do an emission-free land travel between three countries of Southeast Asia from Singapore all the way up to Thailand through Malaysia, covering 2,200 kilometers and 800,000 square meters of land mass. Sounds great. But, you know... (laughs) (laughs) There's there's always a but with this fella. You know, know, I can just see a lot of other people going and charging their plug-in hybrids and their Mm -hmm. little uh, small electric vehicles. Because why? How many Porsche owners are going to take their electric car all the way to Thailand? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know, though. I mean, if I'd got a Porsche road trip, I'd be feeling that, maybe. I mean, you the know? Porsche Club have done a lot of road trips to Thailand. But maybe yeah. once a year, twice a year. You know, it's, it. it's, it's mostly the smaller car clubs they will do this big road trip to Thailand. Because why? Porsche owners driving all the way. How many days, my friend? <laughs> 
Yeah, actually, the distance is a killer from the Malaysian border into Thailand up to Bangkok. I think even on a train, it takes about more than 20 hours. If, if you drive, if you keep to the speed limit, which they won't, you can do it in three days easily. But Porsche owners, I don't think so. Well, it does look good as a plan. As we can see the map here, you know, it maps out all the charging ports that they're planning for from Thailand into Malaysia all the way through Singapore. I think uh, maybe in 2050, we'll be seeing more and more people adopt this method of emissions-free traveling. So it starts all the way just outside Chiang Mai, right? Yes. And then goes all the way down to, wow. So I'm going to ask you a question, guys. Just, you know, just hear me out. Hmm. If I own a Porsche Taycan, Richard owns one, you, Ali, you own one, the BFM electric vehicle Porsche Taycan Club and say, hey, let's all three of us with our family drive from Bangkok. We say, okay, let's go. And then when we come to the charging station, who's going to charge first? Because <laughs> 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 huh? three, three going together, you know. Uh, we have to play one, two, juice. Ah, yeah. Say now the first, the first charging station, Ali wins. So while Ali is charging, okay, he finished charging. Then I have to charge then Richard. Is Ali going to wait for the both of us? Eh? He better wait for us. <laughs> <laughs> then at the next station, Richard goes first. Then me and Ali have got to wait for, you know, we, we have to charge as well. Yeah. Ah. So suddenly the three-day trip becomes four days. <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be more than one charging port, surely. Well, if there's two charging ports and then there's five cars. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. like you said, step in the right direction. Exactly. We've got to get there somehow, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, more. What have we got? We've still got some more electric news, right? Yes. Yeah, last one, last one. So Volvo this time. So some of us are still not over the hype with Volvo's XC40 Recharge, you know, the pure electric car that saw the orders for it going through the roof locally. So much so that Volvo had to close orders for a while before opening it up again. Yes. And uh, now globally comes the sleeker Volvo C40 Recharge, which is another pure electric SUV that just launched in the international market. Now, mm. this is basically an XC40 Coupe, you know? And I think Volvo is saying, hey, we've done such a good job with the XC40. Sales are just, boom, going through the roof everywhere they sell it. Uh, like in this region, Australia has got a long waiting list. Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand. So why not come up with a Coupe version? And mm. it's going to be launched in Australia in two weeks' time. And I heard a rumor it's coming a week after Australia in Malaysia. People have already started putting their bookings in. They've not touched it. They've not test-driven it. They've not even seen the price. They've already started booking the bookings in. Some of the dealers are saying, people are just putting their money down and saying, I want it ASAP. I want it ASAP. This is going to be another sellout for Volvo. And I think that maybe next year, Volvo might catch up to BMW and Mercedes in terms of sheer volume. That's interesting. Because all this while, BMW and Mercedes have been hovering around 9,000, 10,000 units a year. Mm. Volvo has slowly been catching up from 1,000 to 2,000. And I think this year, by the end of the year, they probably hit 3,000. But mm. with this car and the new XC40 facelift coming in, I think they're going to catch up. Time for us to wrap up, is it? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we've come to the end of this segment, but please, please do make sure you tune in afterwards. It's a story of victory. It's about man versus the people. <laughs> it's a municipal story. Council, like. It's the municipal council. Yeah, man against whatever. Yeah, don't go anywhere. Coming up, all about pothole accidents and claims here on Cruise Control on BFM eighty nine point nine.
BFM 89.9 of the business station. Welcome back to Cruise Control. If you're only just tuning in, we've had a whole bunch of stuff. We've been speaking about the local launches of the Audi RS5 Sportback, the Ford Everest. We had some EV news, Peridua, Porsche and Volvo. But this is the piece that I'm really excited about. Talk to us about this, Daniel. Now, when I saw this news on one of the news outlets, I started laughing. I started laughing and I said, I got to do this article for DSF. Why? Because we're always getting people complaining to us about potholes, mm. uh, you know, sunken manhole covers, uh, 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 manhole covers missing, uh, big craters in the middle of the road, you know, uh, suspension bridges. I mean, you know, little um, uh, ramps, you know, with, 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 with pieces missing along the road, you know, a grating yeah. missing along the side and, you know, dreams getting damaged, motorcyclists getting uh, falling off their motorcycles and all kinds of things, all because of road maintenance. Now, it's not a mm. perfect world, but if I go down south to a little island called Singapore, I don't see these problems. Yeah. You know? I was in Bali, Daniel, Bali of all places, and the right. roads there are smooth as silk. Yes. So, you know, I think to myself, is it because of road construction? Is it because of uh, maintenance? Is it because of contractors? I don't want to say anything because, you know, there's so many parties involved. All I can say is this man managed to win 2,980 ringgit from the Kajang Municipal Council. Now, this means from today onwards, anybody who's having a, a damaged rim or tire or even a suspension system because of a bad pothole can go and make a claim. What? Because you can use this as a precedent word. Yes. You know, so I think it's great. Plus, the fact that the town council has been asked to pay the full amount for whatever happened, there will also be a lot of, sad to say, fraud. But I'm also imagining hundreds and hundreds of people tuned in right now, tapping away at their keyboards, you know, sending in their claims. Exactly, exactly. Because, first of all, our, our show, we have millions of people listening to our show. Millions. Out of those millions, most of them, I'm sure, would have had a, a pothole issue. I mean, I've had pothole issues. I've, I've had, you know, tires uh, blown. I've had rims damaged. I've had even a suspension damage. I've even been on my scooter and I hit a, a manhole cover that was, was not properly aligned and I Oof. almost fell off my scooter. I hate it because why? You're always on the road watching out for all this. You know what I mean? Mm. So this means life could be a lot better because the council and their contractors will be forced to do a proper job. Now, okay, so let, let's rewind a little bit and, and look at the potential causes of these. Uh, I, I know you said you didn't want to blame any particular okay. thing. It's a combination, obviously, we know that. Uh, weather, um, and uh, there's just so many of them trying to get out there and get them fixed and... and but is there a, a big one-all fix solution? You know, is is there something that can be done about this? Okay, I'm going to ask you this uh, and see whether you understand what I'm saying. If you yeah. go into a brand new housing area, brand new, that means something that starts from scratch, say... Still smells of paint. Yeah. yeah. You'll notice that there are no potholes, no problems, the roads are smooth and everything else because why? The infrastructure that was built was built under the pavements or under the sides of the road, right? Yeah. Now, in the older parts of Klang Valley, Pataling Jaya, like, okay, my area, PJ Section 16, 17, Jalan Gasing, Jalan University, Klanajaya, SS2, 
everything is underneath the road. So every time mm-hmm. something goes wrong, whether it's a pipe or a facility or you know internet or cabling or anything, they dig up the road. Mm. For example, right in front of the corner of UIA and, and the main road of Section 17 right now, they're digging up the road. Now, that road was resurfaced a few months ago. Beautiful, smooth tarmac. I remember riding my scooter and saying, wow, I've got two kilometers of smooth tarmac. few days ago, I go, they're digging up. Now, when they dig up, when they repatch it, they do a shoddy job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if I'm standing there for about 20, 20 to 24 hours watching them do their job, there will be like seven, eight people standing around doing nothing with vests. Mm. There'll be two guys working. Yeah. And the yeah. guy standing around will have smartphones or cameras taking pictures of what's being done. And then they disappear. And I yeah. take pictures of them. I look at them. You're just coming to show face that you're coming to inspect. You're not inspecting the aftermath. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're yeah. not, you shouldn't be there when they're doing the job. You should come after and inspect and see how smooth they've done it, how cleanly they've done it. And have they taken away all the debris? Mm. Which they don't do. After that, you see stones there, little mud slabs, you know? And then as cars go up and down, they all open up again. Yeah. So I think this is an ongoing issue, but this makes life more bearable that now we know that, you know, someone is going to be responsible. Someone will have to pay. But it's a process, like It's not going to be easy. La. Okay. That clears things up. Hmm. Enough about potholes. There's too many of them. We could be doing this story for like two or three weeks. I, I think we've all had problems with them anyway. Now then, um, we're going to take a short break, folks. When we come back, we have a car review. It's the Audi Q5 S-Line 2-litre TFSI Quattro. Here on Cruise Control on BFM 89.9. FM 89.9, the business station. Welcome back to Cruise Control. We're into our third and final part of the show. It's a car review. Daniel. You like this enough? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Audi Q5 S-Line 2-litre TFSI Quattro. Quattro means a four-wheel drive. Eh? So, we got this Audi Q5 and... We have driven from the first Q5 more than a decade ago until this Q5. If you guys think about it, I'm sure you've seen many on the road. The design has not changed much. Hmm. And if, when you think about it, Audi is a lot like Porsche. You know, they, they come up with a nice design and then they just tweak it, tweak it, tweak it, tweak it, tweak it, tweak it. You know what I mean? Hmm. So if you take a 12-year-old Audi Q5, uh, of course... No panel is the same as this new car. But if you put it side by side, you say, wow, big difference. But if you see one passing and then the next one passing, if it got a brand new paint job, nice shiny, you say, hey, same car. And that's huh. the beauty about Audi. Because why? When you bring home an old Audi, no one will say, hey, times are better. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so this is a brand new Q5. The reason why I'm telling you this is because when I brought it home, my neighbor actually came out and said, hey, why are you test driving an old car? <laughs> because... Further down the road, there's another neighbor with a similar car, but the older one. So I said, no, 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 this is the brand new Q5. They said, oh, then he came, oh, yeah, new front. I said, yeah, look at the shoulder line. Look at the, you know, the rear, the stance, the lights. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's different. Then you start noticing how different it is. And then when you get inside, of course, you know, there's a lot of new features. 
digital dashboard and everything else. So this is the S-Line TFSI. Now, the 2-liter engine is a very common engine with the Volkswagen Group. Now, why I say Volkswagen Group? Because Volkswagen Group owns Audi, of course, also Volkswagen. Plus, they own Porsche and they own Lamborghini and they own Bentley. Can you believe it? Bentley. So, this engine is shared across the board. Not with Bentley, of course. Not with Lamborghini, but they shared it across. So, it's a very common engine. It's a very, very popular engine. The same engine you see in the Golf, GTI, the Volkswagen, Arteon. It's a very nice engine. But with Audi, they've got a slightly different gearbox. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, they use a 7-speed dual-clutch S-Tronic gearbox. Now, this engine is 1,984cc. Power is 249 PS. Torque is 370 Newton meters. But the torque comes in at a low 1006. Now, this is where, where Audi differs a little bit from Volkswagen, even though they use the same engine. They, they play around with the engine management system to, you know, to get slightly different power because why it's turbocharged. They can do a, a little bit of magic to, to suit what they need. And also because of the gearbox. The 0 to 100 is 6.3 seconds. Pretty decent for a 2-liter SUV. Okay. And yeah. the top speed is 237 kilometers an hour. Now, normally when I do a test drive review, when I talk to you guys, I give you the spec sheet after the review. I'm starting with a spec sheet because this is where it gets a little bit funny. Now, this car is fully imported. What has that got to do with the spec sheet? Nothing much. But I'm telling you all this because this car being fully imported is priced at 486,000 ringgit. Ouch. So that's almost half a million ringgit. Now, if you take the rivals, the immediate rivals, of course, are from Germany, which is the Mercedes GLC 300 4Matic, which is four-wheel drive. Now, mm. the GLC 300 is also a two-liter turbocharged, about the same power delivery, but the GLC is local assembled in Pekan, fully equipped in terms of safety features, refinement, uh, uh, luxury, Almost the same with this Audi, but it's costing only 349,000 ringgit. Now, huh. then he took in the BMW X3 X-Drive 3.0i petrol. But the M-Sport, I'm giving the M-Sport because that's the highest spec version. Same thing, 2-liter turbocharged, a lot of nice features, luxury and everything else. About the same size, 358,000. That's 10,000 ringgit more than the GLC. Now, the Audi is 486,000. So, that's a lot of money, you know. Mm, yeah. That's almost a 130,000 ringgit difference. Now, 130,000 ringgit is one whole car. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, is, that is the big difference. So, a lot of people say, oh, you know, why so expensive? Okay, it's fully imported. Yes, we understand. And then... We look at another competitor that's fully imported, which is the all-new Lexus NX. Mm. Now, the NX comes in two variants, the 250 Luxury and the 350 Sport. So I'm going to take the more expensive NX, the 350 Sport, which has got more power, more luxury, more features, fully imported from Japan, very high-quality vehicle, 389,000 ringgit, huh. which means it's 97,000 ringgit about 97,000, sorry, about 87,000 ringgit cheaper than mm -hmm, the Audi mm -hmm. Q5. So again, I'm trying to figure out why is the Audi Q5 more expensive? So never mind. That is up to Audi to figure out what they want to do with Malaysia and what they want to do with this part of the world because at this price, 
I don't see them selling more than a than a handful every month. Okay, mm, mm. it can be good looking. I mean, you guys straight away, whoop, yeah, nice. I drove it. People also looked at it. You know, especially in this dark blue color with all the the chrome trim and those nice wheels and all. Uh, get into the car. Nothing lacking. You got a nice infotainment system. You got a quality uh, touch and feel points. A uh, lot of space. Three people at the back can sit very comfortably. Um, but the thing is, um, the price keeps coming back. I mean, every time I drove the car over the weekend, I was thinking, would I pay an extra hundred thousand? Would I pay an extra hundred thousand over the Lexus? You know. And, and your answer was. No, that's the thing. Are you? You know, it's a nice car, but hundred thousand more. No, I mean I've got to say, just on pure lux alone, I I look at the Lexus and I look at this, and I've got to say I prefer the look of the Lexus as well. The new Lexus NX is really good looking. It's a beautiful looking vehicle. Yes, and the other the other issue which I keep thinking about is also I remember okay a long time ago when when the first Audi Q5 came out. Of course, it was still fully imported. Audi has never been local assembled in Malaysia. If I remember correctly, the price was just above three hundred thousand ringgit for a fully imported mm-hmm. Q5, also two liter engine, um, Quattro. Now at that time, the equivalent Mercedes and BMW was only slightly cheaper. That means like twenty, thirty thousand cheaper, and the Lexus was about the same price. So the Mercedes and BMW has gone up a little bit. The Lexus has gone up a little bit, but the Audi has jumped by almost hundred and fifty, sixty thousand ringgit. And it just does not make sense in this very competitive market. You get what I mean? Mm, mm, for sure. I mean, Mercedes sells a lot of GLCs. BMW does well with the X3. The Lexus NX currently is sold out for the next six months. I don't see anyone walking into the Q5 unless they say, hey, I want to be totally different. Money is no object. I want a Q5. Mm. So this is what I think is going to reduce the appeal of the Q5 price and the fact mm. that even, mm. even I think even if it's local assembled, I don't think they can bring the price down all that much. It's so expensive. Yes. Now, just in terms of um, talking about price, I ended my, my, my review by saying this uh, in my article. The Mercedes GLC 43 4Matic, that's an AMG model, right? Mm. Now, that is a really unique, very special GLC. Not many on the road. It's, it looks the part. It sounds the part. Now, that one, when it, was, when it was first launched, it was fully imported because it's a full AMG vehicle, right? Mm-hmm. It was 612,000 ringgit. And then they local assembled it. Now, when they local assembled it, the price came down to 498,000, which is just 13,000 more than this mm. Audi. And that mm. you're getting is a full-blown AMG. Remember, this Audi is not an RS. Mm. If it was an RS, then okay. Now, if Mercedes could bring this price down so much, then there is something just not... There's no... There's no it doesn't work, you know? Yeah. Mm. So, that's the Audi Q5. Well, I thought we were going to end on a high note. <laughs> I want to end on a high note. This is a nice vehicle, but it's just too expensive. However, should you have problems with potholes, uh, you can now do something about it. Yes. 
<laughs> there we go. We've ended on a high note after all. Uh, folks, thank you very much for tuning in. And as ever, uh, we want to thank uh, Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my and, of course, Ali Johan and myself. If you miss any part of this show, it's a cruise control. It's the car show here on BFM. We did some local launches. We spoke about an Audi RS5 Sportback the Ford Everest, some EV news. We spoke about Porsches, potholes, 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 and then wrapped up, of course, with that car review, the Audi Q5 S-Line 2-liter TFSI Quattro. Oh, that's a mouthful. If you miss any part of the show, please download the podcast. We recommend you use the BFM app wherever you normally get it from. It's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. This has been Cruise Control for BFM 89.9. been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.